0: Patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more.
1: Welcome to
0: Renegade Rules. Kick back, settle in, and let us fill your ear holes with early learning information, wisdom, and advice. And now here's Heather and Jeff. Okay, let's see if I remember how to do this. It's been a while. Welcome to Renegade Rules. Jeff Johnson here live from Upstairs Studio in Iowa. On the Zoom with me is, is Heather Shoemaker. How you doing, Heather, up in Michigan where it's in the 60s in the house?
1: Yeah, it's freezing here, but I'm doing great.
0: That's great. And live from Florida, where I'm guessing it's 400 degrees and 98% humidity. You're
2: lucky I'm even dressed.
0: <laughs> well, that's, since you got the video turned on, I'm, I'm feeling very lucky. So uh, <laughs> Lisa Murphy is joining us. Heather, it's been a while. We were on summer sabbatical. Was it vacation or sabbatical? What did we call it in the last episode? Um,
1: I don't know, but in any case, it's a needed break from routines, and now we're back full of new enthusiasm. Yeah, and we're back with Lisa Murphy to talk
0: about her new book. Lisa, what's it called? When's it coming out to start with? And then we'll dig into what's in it.
2: It's called Lisa Murphy on Child-Centered Environments, and it is being released in November at the NAEYC Conference in Nashville.
0: Awesome. And available, available for pre-order now on all your... Thank
2: required. you. And you're always very good about saying that. Yes, it's available for pre-order. You can go to redleafpress.com, or if you're in the Canada, you can go uh, to a place that I just forgot. Um, but yeah, it's available. I can
0: You can also it. go to the Amazon.
2: You can go to Amazon and pre-order it. But first,
1: the- we need to find out how awesome this new book is, because it is a cause for celebration when somebody who really gets kids and play takes the time and effort to put it all down into a book again for us. So even if you've read Lisa's other books or maybe you've never heard of her and you're wondering who is this person on the podcast, it's time to get to know her because she really can articulate what, all the questions you want to know about why you should be changing things and what kids really need and, and all those good things. So um, it's rarely that – Holy crap, um, I can't talk now. <laughs> <laughs> No, but it's so rare that when I've written a book full of renegade rules that I can ever fully endorse somebody else's book, because there's usually some things I think, oh, okay, that's getting pretty close. But um, so it's very uh, relaxing and invigorating to be able to say, yay, this book gets it. And um, even if even if you just need validation, I've, I just got a sneak peek at Lisa Murphy's new book coming out in November. And I think it's marvelous. So let's give people a little bit of a tease of what's inside. Um, first of all, right. now, First of all, you need to
2: know that I'm like sitting here, Jeff and I have the video on, so he's been watching me like sit here and cry over my coffee. Um, you know what, and I'm gonna jump in and I know you have some questions, but I will agree with you in that it's very- <laughs> Lisa,
0: Lisa agrees, that's a great book.
2: <laughs> no, not really. that's not what I'm saying. Well, I am, but I'm not. It's very rare that I read something or am asked to read something where I'm not already highlighting in the article or the whatever, the margin. Like, like what you just said, I love that. Ooh, it kind of came too close. I read something the other day that I'm bringing with me to the conference I'm going to this weekend. And I, I actually wrote in the margin, I never, ever don't disagree with any part of this. And it's the only document I've read in a while that I didn't disagree with any of it. And so I I appreciate that because I do know how refreshing it can be. And affirmation is not a bad thing. I think sometimes we make it like we're just patting each other on the back or whatever. But I I think it's good every now and again to be like, you know what, I'm, I'm not on the wrong track. So I appreciate wholeheartedly your feedback and I will let you know that I often say the same things.
1: Yeah, and let's just point out that this is not because we're becoming complacent in our intellect with this kind of topic. Like we're not stretching ourselves still because you can settle into your own belief system and say, oh, okay, this is the way it is. And any new idea that doesn't fit, I'm just going to cast it out. So even Lisa and Jeff and I, we're always thinking through these things and asking why and saying, does this match up? And what could we do better? And we do make little tweaks in, in our own thought processes. So um, it's not just a, yay, this is how it should be. But right. it, it's a, rigor- believe, a rigorous like approach.
2: You. Yeah, you said what I believe, so I like you. Yeah, that's not, yeah, no, no, I'm not saying that at all. And thank you for clarifying that for your listeners.
1: And if you do uh, read Lisa Murphy's books and my books and Jeff's books and so on for validation, that's good because also it helps give you the language to explain it to people who are coming along in the journey. So sometimes you know it in your gut, but you don't know how the heck to say it. Well, with this new book, you'll have a lot of ways that you can help say it to um, the, the parents you work with, with the families you work with, with your um Uh, colleagues you work with. The kids kind of already know it in their guts. They don't really need so much explaining. But I just wanted to get into the whole topic of child-centered because I think just like the words free play, those can be totally misunderstood by people who don't know what we're getting at. So one thing you said is child-centered is not chaos. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah,
2: People think it's like Lord of the Flies in room five, kids running around naked with paint flying through the air, which, you know, you you have to be careful with your audience because sometimes that is what's happening. But I realize it's happening versus that it's happening because I don't know how to redirect it. Right. It's one of the things I think that is missing in the understanding of what is child centered is the idea that it is very structured, but it's not controlling. And although it might just seem like verbiage, I think Jeff and I have unpacked this a couple times. Um, I unpack this constantly with my colleagues. There is a huge difference between structure as in consistency, as in that that there's a plan versus control, which is, I need you to do it the way that I want it to be done. And I really do believe that that's at the core of a true child-centered environment. Is adult? uh, Sorry, go on.
1: No, I'm just going to say, sometimes when um, you mentioned in the book that sometimes when people are introduced to this idea of child-centered and they haven't been doing it, that they swing the pendulum totally to the opposite side and start boasting about, now we let the children jump off the tables. So explain right. this reaction a little
2: it- bit. I thought about Jeff when I was writing that page in the book because Jeff's like, so let them fucking jump off the tables, you know? But there's a difference between, again, it's the intention. Are they jumping off the tables because somebody wanted to know you know, the velocity of going from point A to point B or the force or the magnitude or the physics, or is the teacher just sitting on the side going, well, I'm not supposed to tell them to not do this. So I'm not even intervening at all. And that's, that's the fine line of Child centered versus just letting them do whatever they want. If you're need and Jeff and I unpacked this, I think it was a block episode about throwing blocks, and I was like, Ugh, but block. But if you're needing to do some throwing, so let's lift the verb. If you're needing to do some jumping, to your to your example of off the tables, where can we make that happen in a way that is not going to hurt anybody or not? You know, it's it's not that the table needs more respect than anything. It's not that. But where can we let the verb happen in a way that's not gonna, you know, hurt literally anybody? And and that's right. the piece that I think that a lot of adults are just not able to sit with.
1: Yeah, it's not about not having any limits or expectations or um, putting things in their proper place. I always talk about can you say yes to it if you change the location? Or exactly. can you say yes to it?
2: Yes, yeah. yes, and, yes, and, yes, and. And that's what Jeff taught me in that one episode. Oh God, I don't even remember when we recorded it, but it was about blocks. And I was like, get, I was getting locked and loaded on my moral reaction to the blocks as the example. And Jeff's like, they're needing to do some throwing. So where can the throwing of something happen? And I was like, oh, okay. So Jeff, even in that episode, stretched me a little bit out of my comfort zone, which is I think what my book, I think that lies potentially, if I can sound that kind of egotistical, that's what's at the heart of my intention behind the book is how can I stretch people out of their comfort zone to still be aligned with developmentally appropriate practice and still meeting children where they need to be met.
0: Yeah, let's throw yeah. In Dan's dictum here too. Dan Hodgins says that we need to stop making moral issues out of developmental issues. And that's what we're doing with a lot of the table jumping and block throwing and those kind of things. We're, we're frame, framing them as moral issues when they should be framed in our classrooms and homes as developmental issues in most situations.
2: And I think that the, the idea of lifting the verb out might assist people, even people who are like, I'm not really sure about this child centered. I'm not really sure about this play thing the idea of lifting the verb out. Can we make the verb what we focus on instead of the child?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Though I must admit, I never knew that you had a moral relationship to blocks. So that's good.
2: Oh, I have a huge... In my brain, this is a whole different podcast. In my brain, every single child care center would be nothing but like 3,000 square feet of blocks. (laughs)
1: Well, blocks, blocks are hard to hug, you know, you might want something softer in there, too. Um, yeah, so now if we have things about limits and, and, you know, getting that verb out and thinking about where you can do things. So we set up some boundaries, maybe. You were talking about kids testing the boundaries and what that's all about um, and, the, and you the, you know, having consistent them. boundaries.
2: Yes, because yes. sometimes
1: we'll set. a I I watch parents. Uh, you know, whether they're in the grocery checkout line or a teacher in the school, and it seems like the kids keep asking and pestering, because it's Tuesday, and you know, on Wednesday she said this, and <laughs> on Thursday she'll probably say that. So they're always kind of pushing to see what's going to happen this time.
2: And Heather, I know you and I, I although I feel that we've known each other a long time, we're kind of deepening how much we know about each other. But consistency in my world, and Jeff knows this, is that's my that's my thing. Be consistent. You know, the, the reason why the kids in my family child care home never painted on the windows. No, I can't say that because that was actually allowed. The reason they never painted on my car or the side of the house was because they could always paint on the back fence and the sliding glass door, right? It was consistent. My mood was not dictating what was or was not okay today. And I think you're referring to Barb Chernofsky's quote in the book about children do not test boundaries to make them bigger, they test boundaries to make sure that they're still there. And when I realize consistently that the boundaries, the consistency is there, then I can relax into being two or three or four or five, or I would even argue into being 14 because this is consistent here in this place. It might not be consistent in other places, but in this place it, it is.
1: Right. And that gives um, a sense of comfort. I think sometimes if we're thinking, Oh, we need to just make it more about the child and, and revolve our lives around the child. Mm-hmm. What does that really mean? They actually want, they crave some of those boundaries and some of that adult consistency. So sometimes we think that we're being nicer to them or being more child-centered if we just let everything go. But no. no, there's things kids actually need that seem counterintuitive to some points of view there.
2: You know what? I love that you said that. And I wish that I had actually elaborated more on that in the book. So wow. That, thank you.
0: Well, that that consistency also goes back to the uh, the table jumping and the block throwing. If kids consistently have the opportunity to do things that they developmentally need to do, uh, if there's always a place they can jump and always a place they can throw, they're more less likely to do those things in the places that that may cause those moral issues for you those um if there's a there's a throwing place in the corner of the classroom it's less likely the blocks are going to get thrown because the things that are that are okay to throw are going to get thrown over there so you you and and that
2: requires jeff and i know you know this it requires a leap of faith on the part of the adult to realize there's a trust level there right yeah okay so i read this book or i listened to this podcast and if i have a place where you can't throw stuff if i start directing the throwing need the counterintuitive idea there is that the throwing is actually going to go away like uh how's it going to go away now i'm like i'm allowing it to happen why is it going to go away it's going to go away now because you don't have an a moral dog in the fight so to speak and now if the kid was to this example just throwing stuff to get a rise out of the adult they're not gonna they're not gonna do it anymore because you're like it's no big deal if you need to go throw something go throw it over there
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I need to invite you to Michigan. There's a children's museum here where the the second I'm floor is. I'm not allowed is, to
2: go there unless I have a
1: child with me. So I'll need to rent somebody's. Okay, ch- you can rent a child, but there's a whole <laughs> there's a whole floor that's called throwing things,
2: oh and the whole God. floor
1: is for things to be thrown. And there's all kinds of really neat things you can throw, including trebuchets and catapults and different kinds of throwing. So it's really awesome. But the, when I enter A classroom or a children's museum type thing I know just by the mind I I know the mindset of the people who set it up based on what's there you know what the environments like what they understand kids need and of course all the adults like to throw the stuff just as much as the kids when they get upstairs yeah so um, you know one thing I wanted to ask you about is um, I don't want to scare people off with your book, because in the, in the intro, and a couple of places throughout the book, you mentioned how hard it is to be child-centered, and how hard it is to have this different way of interacting in this, it's a different relationship, is basically what it is, a I mindset in a relationship, I think and I smart. thought, really, it's hard, it seems like it's so much harder to
2: control. No, I would actually argue that it's easier to attempt to control ah, okay. and the reason why it's hard. Oh, I wonder if I use that word too much now. Good Lord, now I have to fucking edit the book again. I, I, I just think that it's, it's hard to make the mind shift. If you didn't like come to the table with this already as your lens of how you work with children, it is really hard to make the shift. And I think yes. I probably have written the book with a, a child care center lens in the sense that I might be ready to make the shift, but my 14 colleagues in the rooms down the hall aren't. So that also makes it hard.
1: Mm-hmm. I, feel like yeah, I can my- tell the shift, the the changing mindset is going to be, and changing practice is going to be really tough. But- I guess I've never been in the control arena, so it looks really, really hard from the outside looking in to try to get everybody lined up on these lines and doing, you know, coloring within the lines on everything. Whereas the other way is just so natural and so easy, and it, there's less stress. And I see everybody else getting more stressed around me because the attempt to control—it's constant. You're, you're, you're micromanaging everything all the time. You never get a break because you have to be in total control. And and it's and it doesn't work. It doesn't. Um, and I see that Jeff wants to say something, so I want to let him talk.
0: I was just going to say that it, in in conversations with people who have made this leap on their journey, that's one of the things they they are most excited about and surprised at that the work becomes easier. When they let up on the reins a little bit and and relinquish some of that control they thought they had to have, things just become it becomes a less stressful job for them and more joyful as well, oh, and more natural,
1: more. more I would yeah. say more I, human.
0: Yeah, yeah, more natural, absolutely.
1: But because I when we that- when we talk. When we talk to kids in kind of fake conversations and fake questions, as you call them, and just all that kind of fake relationship, it it, it takes a lot of effort to do that. It's not how you naturally would talk to another human. So, um, you know, being in a, a more human relationship is really what it's all about.
2: I, I went, um, the, the notes that I wrote, and I'm holding them up, I don't know if you can see it, but I, I would go back to the counterintuitiveness that Jeff just talked about. To me, that's counterintuitive for a lot of people in this industry. If I relinquish control, because somewhere along the way, I drank the Kool-Aid of thinking that I'm supposed to be the boss of the children. And now I'm going to release that. And it's, so it's counterintuitive to what I think I should be doing, but holy crap, now my job is easier. But the thing that I like to unpack is, do we think that somehow because our job becomes quote unquote easier, that we're not working as hard as we should be? And I think that's an element that we don't don't explore that enough. Your job Mm -hmm. doesn't need to be stressful in order for you to actually be working.
1: Yeah, you can actually be working at a higher level of thinking and creativity because you're, you're reading into the children's play, you're observing all kinds of development that's happening and all kinds of learning that's happening. So you're able to make it more meaningful for the adults or people who need you to write uh, reports about all the good learning that's going on. You're thinking and seeing things at a different level, but it's not a stressful level. It, it is a joyful level.
2: It is. Um, And I don't think that enough people are ever coached on realizing that your job doesn't have to bring anxiety and stress and some sense of I'm working hard. And that's the piece that I think is, is missing with a the, with the child care, early childhood lens. And you, Heather, have been very blessed and fortunate. Um, I, I got the experience that you got or that you write about as a young child. And then I drifted and then I came back to it. But a lot of people have known nothing other than what I say, forgive me, to not do
1: in the book, right? I mean, yeah. and you have to see it happen in real life. I think it's very hard just to um, intellectually grasp this. I think you just need to um, take a field trip and visit a center or somebody's house where this kind of uh, relationship is going on because otherwise it's hard to imagine it, it's hard to create it in your mind. I was wondering since we're getting on to the juicy topic of change, and can we, um, can we focus a whole episode on? on how to how to go about some of these drastic changes, Jeff
0: yeah, I was just going say when it
1: comes something else
0: when it, well I was going to say when it comes to observing and do your job, I've been observing the clock, and this seems to be about a place we should cut the episode and uh, come back and do another one so So let's wrap this one up and come back with more Lisa Murphy, where we're going to dig into what heather change. Excellent. One of our favorite topics. This has been Renegade Rules. Heather Shoemaker's with me. You can find more Heather at heathershoemaker.com. You can find more Lisa Murphy at ooey gooey.com. Check them out. Book is available for pre-order. What's the title again, Lisa?
2: Lisa Murphy on Child-Centered Environments.
0: There. Check that book out too. Pre-order it. The publishers like to see those pre-orders roll in. Back soon with another episode. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. There we go. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Music by Alexander Schumacher. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh. your support to keep the podcasts flowing. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash support to learn how. One of the big things you can do is shop Amazon with the link we provide. You buy your cat food, you buy your kids books, you buy whatever it is you buy on Amazon, you pay the regular price. We get a small percentage of it. Everybody wins. A lot of people are doing it. It really supports the shows and we really appreciate it. Give it a try. Thanks.